Find uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. What it looks like when Jesus reigns. When he reigns in your life. Acts chapter 4. and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching, teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power... Or what name did you do this? And that this refers back to the healing of the lame man in chapter 3. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now listen to verse 13 carefully. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In his book, Led by the Carpenter, <coughs> excuse me, Led by the Carpenter by Dr. D. James Kennedy, uh, Dr. Kennedy writes, a, a man walked into a little mom-and-pop grocery store and asked, Do you sell salt? Ha, huh, said Pop, the proprietor. Do we sell salt? <laughs> Just take a look. And Pop showed the customer one entire wall of shelves stocked with nothing but salt. Morton salt, iodized salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, Epsom salt. Every kind of salt imaginable. Wow, said the customer. 
Pop said, do you think that's something? I'll show you more. He said, come look. Took him into a back room filled with shelves and shelves and bins and bins and cartons and cartons and barrels and barrels and boxes and boxes of salt. Do we sell salt, he said. Unbelievable, said the customer. I'm not done yet, said Pop. Come, I'll show you more. And Pop led the customer down some steps into a huge basement, five times as large as the previous room, filled, filled from ceiling to the floor with every imaginable form and size and shape of salt. Even huge 10-pound salt licks for livestock. Incredible said the customer, you really do sell salt. Nope, said Pop. That's the problem. <laughs> we never sell salt. But that salt salesman that visits me, oh boy, now he sells some salt. <laughs> now folks, we know that as believers, we are to live lives of influence. We're to be like men and women who people know have been with Jesus. And you know, Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the Greek is emphatic. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. That's the influence that we're to have. And you look at that early church that began with about 120 people in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. 120 people initially. Of course, on the day of Pentecost, we know that thousands more were added. But God took 120 people in the pagan world of the Roman Empire and he turned the world upside down. So if we're going to be men and women of influence and make a difference in the world, how can that happen? How can God take a group of people and through that group of people make a difference in the world? Well, the answer lies in what they said here about Peter and John. They took note that these were men who had been with Jesus. You know, how important is it for us today that the world would look at us and say, you know what, that's, that's somebody who's been with Jesus. That ought to be a priority. Would anybody ever say that of you? Charles Spurgeon once said, there's something in the very tone of the man who has been with Jesus which has more power to touch the heart than the most perfect oratory. <clears throat> well, what's it going to look like? Men and women who've been with Jesus. What's it going to look like? Because this Christmas season, we need to think about this. The world, as we celebrate what we celebrate at Christmas, that Christ came into the world. And if we want the world to really believe our message, what do they need to see about us? They need to be able to say of us, those are people who love Jesus. Those are people who've been with Jesus. Well, what's that going to look like? Well, first of all, a life where Jesus reigns is going to be characterized by love. That's the first thing we see here. Chapter 3 records the narrative as to why Peter and John 
were in such hot water. Look back at verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, apparently most people didn't pay him much attention. Oh, I'm sure a bunch of people threw coins into a little container that he had there as he was begging. And you know, back then, because the poor didn't have all kind, the poor and the lame, they didn't have all kinds of government programs like we would have today, society would look after them in this way. There were a lot of beggars and people would contribute something, and that's how many of them uh, actually were able to meet their needs. Now, you know, most people, like us today, I'm sure, would pass right by. You know, because today it's difficult to discern the scammers from those really in need, right? So many scammers today. But here was a man who was truly in need. No doubt about it. I mean, we know that this guy was truly in need. And as Peter and John came along, they were attentive to his needs and they were compassionate. I wonder if we're that way with people around us. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about modern-day beggars who are probably most oftentimes scammers, but just with people in general. How do we treat the people around us in general? If we're ever going to make an impact on our world today and people say of us, now there's a group of people who have been with Jesus, we're going to have to have our eyes open and our ears open to those around us. Every day out of the world, you meet men and women who need to be reached with the gospel. You know what, folks, chances are today, they are not going to come on their own to church. And that's why the Great Commission says what? Go. Go and tell. It's never the burden of the lost man to come and hear it's rather to be the burden and the conviction of the church to go and tell. We're waiting today for people to come and hear. We're thinking the lost are going to act like saved people who want to go to church and hear the word of God. And chances are, for the most part, they're not. If the church in America today is ever going to impact America, then we've got to be like Jesus in Mark chapter 9 that when he looked at the masses, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, there's such a great need for Christians in this disconnected culture to connect with people around them. Those who are in our circles of influence. As you look at religious surveys today, uh, what many of those will tell you is that the lost people around us will, in fact, listen to somebody who is a friend or family member. In fact, surveys show that they're actually open to that and they would like to know what we believe and why we believe it. They don't necessarily want to hear it from a stranger. They'll shut a stranger out 
oftentimes. If a stranger starts talking to them about spiritual matters, they may put up a wall. But surveys such show that when, when they've been asked about it, that they would love to know what a friend of theirs believes about Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that we refuse to witness to strangers. I'm not saying, I'm just saying lost people that, that you already have a relationship, don't assume that they don't want to hear what you believe. Because if these surveys are trustworthy, they actually do want to know. You know, as you read the Gospels, you see how Jesus got wrapped up in the needs of people. He was never too busy or saw himself as being too important to help people, even though he was the Son of God. And so we need to be like Christ, don't we? We need to be in the people business. We need to care about people. We need to love people. You know, everybody is so busy today that, that we tend to just forget about being a witness. We need to overcome this busyness. When we love people, then people will take note that we have been with Jesus. I think of the story of Watchman Nee, the Chinese missionary. In China, there was a believer who flooded the rice field, uh, who flooded his rice fields every day like you have to do. And the rice fields would be separated by big boards and slots and they, they, would, they had to pedal. Uh, it, was all, it was like a bicycle that they would have to pedal. And that would operate the pump that would pump water into their section of the field and their section of the field would have the boards that would hold the water in. And this one believer, every day he would go out after doing that, after peddling himself silly and being exhausted, he found that an unbelieving neighbor had taken the boards out of the slots and all the water that this guy had worked to fill up his own fields, that guy had picked the boards up out of their slots so all that water would flow into his fields and water his rice and he wouldn't have to do anything. This went on day after day. It really made the believer mad, but he knew this unbeliever needed Christ, and he was wondering about how to respond. How do I respond to this guy? My rice is dying. His is flourishing. I'm doing all the work. Well, he just decided he'd get up earlier every morning, and before he even took care of his fields, he would go out and peddle that guy's stuff, fill up his fields with water. And then he'd go back and do the same for his. Do you know within a couple of weeks, Watchman Nee said he was able to lead that man to Christ. We need to be reminded that ministry is always inconvenient. The most convenient thing we can ever do is to live and let live. I'll do my thing, you do your thing, I'll mind my business, you mind your business. That's the most convenient way to live. That's the easiest way to live. But if we're going to reach a world for Christ, we can't live that way. Paul told Timothy, even that Timothy needed to fan into flames the gift of God that was within him. He needed to get fired up about ministry so he would see the needs out there and get busy. So what's it going to take for people, for the world to say, that's a group of people who've been with Jesus. They're going to have to see our, our love and compassion that we care about. Them. A second thing, 
A life where Jesus reigns will be a life characterized by principle. By principle. The reason Peter and John got in so much trouble was because of this miracle, this man that's been healed. And uh, verse 12 of chapter 3 tells us that Peter opened his mouth and started preaching about Jesus. And then verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4 again says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John... And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. What were Peter and John preaching? They were preaching Jesus. They were preaching about the cross and the resurrection. Now, you know, to the world, the cross, as I said Sunday, it's a nice piece of jewelry people wear around their necks. It's nothing more than decoration. But not so to the men of this time. The cross was an instrument of death. The cross was where the Son of God died for your sins and my sins. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, if I'm going to glory in anything, I'm going to glory in the cross of Christ. Because without that, I'd still be lost and I'd be in my sin. But you know, that's the Christian response to the cross. The world's response to the cross can be quite different, right? Paul said to the Corinthians, to the Jew, the preaching of the cross is what? Foolishness. They considered the law to be the way to heaven. Paul says, by the law, no one will ever be justified in the sight of God. Now, the law is needed because it exposes our sin. It's like a mirror that you look into. The mirror points out what's flawed about you. But it can't fix that. That's how the law is. It points out what's wrong and how far short we've fallen of the glory of God. But the law in and of itself can't save. It was never designed to save. <clears throat> but you know, if you, again, if you start preaching the cross... That's an offense to some people today because they want to believe so badly that they can do something to contribute to either achieve their own salvation or at least contribute to it in some way. And so when they hear a message about the cross, they get offended. Because the cross says there's nothing you can do Christ has done it all. And for some reason, that's an offense to some modern ears. Now, to the Greeks, Paul said, the preaching of the cross was what? To the Jew, it's, a, uh, it's foolishness. To the Greek, stumbling block. It's the same today, too. People wonder, how in the world can, some, can one man, this man named Jesus, die on a cross? 
How can that save others, they think? And so you start talking about the cross being the only way men's sins are forgiven, and they'll get upset. And another, another reason they'll get upset is because you're actually implying that there's sinners who need to be saved. Isn't it amazing with all the headlines that we read about today? There are tons of people out there who still believe that man is basically good. But man's not basically good. Given the opportunity to sin, men are going to sin. It's the doctrine of total depravity. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Men are totally depraved. Now, total, total depravity does not mean that, that men aren't capable of doing some nice things. Total depravity means that every part of your being is tainted by sin. Your thoughts, your motives, your words, your actions, every part of you, sin has affected <clears throat> And depravity or total depravity means what? It means that we need redemption. We desperately need God to step in and intervene in our behalf. We can't save ourselves. Now you want to talk about the cross just being a humanitarian example that you you know show love by laying down your life for somebody. Oh, the world's ready to talk about that. They don't mind that. That makes them feel good. That doesn't offend anybody. But if you talk about Jesus dying on the cross, necessary for somebody to be saved, with some people you might have a fight on your hand, an argument. But Peter and John weren't afraid to call sin, sin. They weren't afraid to preach the truth. They were men of principle. And so they preached Jesus. And they preached about the resurrection. And there was a group here, the Sadducees folks, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. And so those two doctrines right there, the substitutionary atonement and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you start talking about that with some people. And again, you've got an argument on your hand. But, but people who have Jesus in charge of their lives don't care what the world thinks about us. We're men and women of principle and we're going to talk about Christ. It doesn't matter if people hate us or not. We preach about Christ because we care enough about people we want to see them saved. We'll look again at verse 13. Again, what, what he says here, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And, and it, it also says in this passage where, where they told them, they said to the authorities, we've got to obey God rather than men. Peter had the audacity to say what he said in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He's preaching the truth. 
But can you imagine the audacity some people would say? Telling me that there's only one way to be saved? Yeah, that's true. And Peter didn't back down from that message. Uh, he would have angered the Pharisees who didn't believe in Jesus, and he would have angered the Sadducees who didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. And so he would have angered anybody there who felt like one way to God is just as good as any other way. Peter would have offended the whole crowd there that day. He was an equal opportunity offender. He was a man of principle. Folks, if we are ever going to win this world to Christ, we've got to be men and women of principle who actually believe the gospel and believe it enough to preach it and live it. Chances are you know people who want you right now probably to, to compromise certain aspects of your Christianity just for them. They want you to cut out certain aspects of your convictions so you won't offend them anymore. And sadly, there's too many ready to accommodate them. Even worse, the modern-day church in many circles doesn't even know what it believes anymore. You see, if you get away from the Word of God, you've completely lost your compass. And there's so many today who've just gotten away from the Word. Too many churches are like a ship out on the sea without a rudder. They don't have any idea what they believe and where they're headed. And they'll accommodate this group and that group. And they'll try to identify with everybody and not offend anybody to the point that they don't take a stand on anything anymore. And if you try to talk to some of these people about doctrine, they'll just shut you down. But folks, how we're going to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth and the light of the world and lead men out of darkness is we've got to make sure we're walking in the light ourselves, that we believe in the gospel, we preach it and live it. You know, there's a denomination today that's gone through their hymn book. And they've cut out every single reference in their hymn book to the blood of Jesus. Folks, if you disregard the blood of Jesus, then you disregard the cross. If you disregard the cross, then you've denied God and the plan of salvation that He offers. From what the Bible says, Jesus isn't simply a good way to go to heaven. He's not a better way. He's not even the best way. He is the only way. That's the conviction that the early apostles lived by. And again, they were men of principle. They did not back down from that message it didn't matter who was in their audience. They preached Jesus. Jesus, the only way to God. Jesus, the only way to be saved. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to 
to the Scriptures. Folks, we'll never reach a world for Christ if we forget what our message is. The early disciples kept the message central. And they had spent time with Jesus. Peter said on one occasion when Christ asked, Who do men say that I am? And they, they said what men were reciting. And Jesus said, But what about you? And Peter said what? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus isn't just a man. He's the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And He came to do for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. If we believe that, then we need to share that. We need to be men and women of principle, not ashamed to talk to, to, to people around us about that. <clears throat> we need to be people of principle that, you know, what is right is right because God says it's right. What is wrong is wrong because God says it's wrong. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. It doesn't matter what Congress says. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says. It doesn't matter what the media says. It won't matter if the world agrees with you or not. Be men and women of principle who want to please God and obey God more than men. Athanasius was a great defender of the faith, early Christianity. And those first several hundred years where the church leaders were fighting so much against heretics. And somebody once said to Athanasius, Athanasius, don't you understand? The entire world is against you. And Athanasius said, then Athanasius is against the world. He didn't back down. Now, notice the silence that they tried to impose on Peter and John. Verse 17 of chapter 4. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Isn't that just like the world? The world says you can believe whatever you want to believe inside the walls of your home or your church, but don't bring your message out into the public square. You know what we're seeing today all around us? Case in point would be Trinity Western University in Canada. In 2018, the school suffered a tremendous loss at the hands of the Supreme Court in Canada. You see, Trinity is a law school. That's one of their main schools there. They lost uh, or were in danger of losing their accreditation, and they did lose their accreditation in the long run, uh, which is devastating for a school to, you, to lose your accreditation I mean, you're not going to be able to attract students probably if they know your school's not even accredited. Well, why was Trinity in such trouble? Because they're a Christian school too. Have a law school, yes, but a Christian school. 
And Trinity, students had to sign a covenant that when it comes to sex and marriage, they're going to believe and defend the traditional biblical model. Well, there's lots of ins and outs of what happened in their case, but to sum up, the Supreme Court basically said to students who favor Trinity's policies, they have not only Trinity, but all the other law schools in Canada also to attend. Those who don't adhere to Trinity's standards now will only have the law schools other than Trinity to attend, and thus, either students who go to Trinity will have an unfair advantage of having more law school options, or those of the same-sex community attending Trinity would have to pretend that same-sex relations are not part of, their, part of their identity for the sake of obtaining an education while they're at Trinity. And so the Supreme Court of Canada allowed the law societies in Canada to pull accreditation from Trinity. The Supreme Court there essentially decided that same-sex rights trump religious rights. And as the article went on to point out, essentially what's being said is as long as you want to believe what you want to believe within the confines of your school or church, fine. But if you believe something that is contrary to public opinion out in the public square, we're going to shut you down. Folks, isn't that what we're seeing all around us today? More and more decisions are going this direction. Christian religious rights are quickly being shuffled to the very bottom of the pile. Believe what you want to believe in church, but keep it within the walls of the church. Unfortunately, that's where we're headed, and a lot of people would say that's where we already are. But I, again, I love what Peter and John said in verses 19 and 20. Look again there. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to God? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Folks, that's how we need to be. We can't be guided by convenience or polls or popularity. We are to be men and women of principle. William Penn once said, right is right even if everyone is against it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone is for it. Jim, you had something you wanted to say. Well, what you're seeing is an ancient version of the modern term, cancel culture. Sure. Exactly. If you don't know what that term means, you just heard the definition from Pastor Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a third thing I want you to see, a life where Jesus reigns will be a life characterized by communion with Christ. Why is it that Peter and John were perceived as being men who had been with Jesus? Because they were men who had been with Jesus. Their lives were Christ-centered. And their lives were controlled by Christ. Folks, if you have truly communed with the Lord, 
think you're going to have to convince people of that. They're going to see it in your life. If Christ is the most important person in your life, and if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, people are going to see that. Notice what's said about Peter and John. They were unlearned and ignorant men. Now that first word means that they were unlettered. What, what's that mean? They didn't have degrees from like the University of Jerusalem, for example. They were unlettered. They had not been to the schools the rabbis of their day had been to. The second word means that they didn't run in the highest social circles of their day. They didn't run with those who would have been said to be in the end crowd. Now, a lot of people today think you have to have all of that. You have to be lettered, and you have to run with the right crowd. But that doesn't account for what God is able to do in ordinary lives. Aren't you glad what God's able to do in the lives of ordinary men and women? Peter and John were just everyday folks, but they had communed with Jesus. They would spent time with him. For three years, they had walked with him, been exposed to his teachings. They had followed him. They'd spent time with him in homes, in the synagogues, in the temples, everywhere. They'd spent time with Jesus. Look at verse 8 again. It says, then Peter, and because of that, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of, of, of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They knew, they knew what Christ was able to do because they had communed with Him. They'd followed Him. They had seen what He was able to do. If we are ever going to be perceived as being people that Christ is first in us, then we're going to have to be people who spend time communing with the Lord. We're going to have to fellowship with Him. As Jesus said in John 15, abide in Him and let His Word abide in you. We've got to love Christ more than we love this world. We've got to remember, folks, we're just pilgrims in this world passing through. And so we need to be living like we're looking. We're looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. This world's not our home. Again, Peter said, we can't help but speak of these things. They had fellowship with Jesus. There's no way they could keep silent. Their time with Christ had even affected their speech. Have you ever noticed that men will talk, they'll talk about what they're passionate about? 
You take a man or a woman who's got a hobby, you mention that hobby and off they go. They'll talk your ears off about it. We talk about what's most meaningful to us, right? I think of what Dr. Jerry Vine said one time. He was pastor of First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. He got on a plane one time. Seated next to him was a young man who obviously wanted to talk. This young man had just gotten engaged. He whipped out his wallet. He wanted Dr. Vines to see his fiancée. Dr. Vine said, I tell you, it's a good thing that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that love is blind, because he said he thought to himself, I've only seen two ugly women in my life, and she's both of them. <laughs> but you know what? He just let this guy talk, and this guy was so in love, he just went on and on talking about his fiancée. We talk about what's important to us. We talk about what's in our heart. If Jesus is in our heart and we've communed with Him, we're going to talk about it. It's natural. I want you to look at your life right now. What would you be accused of? What would anybody ever accuse you of? Would you ever be accused of having spent time with Jesus and that He controls your life? I hope so. I hope when people talk about us, they would know right off that that's, that's what's primary with us. If it's not primary with you, then what do you need to put in order? What is it this Christmas season when we celebrate God invading human history in order to save us? What do you need to put in order that Christ will truly be first and that men will know he's first in your life what do you need to deal with purpose in your heart to do a couple of things carve out time to spend with Jesus there's no substitute for that folks you've got to take God's word accept it as God's word spend time in it you know, Jesus always took God's Word at face value. It's God's Word. Allow it to shape your life. Allow it to shape your belief systems, your convictions, your principles. Let the Word of God be your compass in your life. Your anchor and your compass. Your anchor that holds you firm in place and your compass that shows you the direction to go. And every day, look for where God's at work around you. Because there's people out there, just like Peter and John going up to a temple, and there was a guy there they ministered to. If you and I will only open our eyes to see those around us and to understand what their needs are, God will work you to death ministering to people if you'll let him. Because there's people all around you who need a Christian witness. And don't let those who don't have biblical convictions, don't let them shake you away from the foundation that you have in Christ. Anything in closing?
maybe I missed that you picked up on in the passage? You didn't miss anything. <laughs> but, uh, but a fellow principal, I'm thinking of uh, uh, the happiest moment of my life, well, the second happiest, maybe the happiest, <laughs> when my dad got saved. You know, I mean, I was so happy because I worked with him. It was a long story, but... And uh, he, was in the, he was in the hospital for a few weeks short of a year. And this is the beginning. We didn't know what the results were going to be. Well, anyway, he got saved during that time. It was, it's a story, but I won't get into that. But I was so happy, and a day or two later, you know, I was I was threatened not to say anything, you know, and, mm. and you, you know, you're threatened not to say the happiest thing you ever heard, mm. you ever knew. And so. We were, I was going to go with these other folks to the hospital to visit them. And I think the Lord knew how frustrated I was because I was threatened not to say anything about what had happened. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so we go into the second floor and he's, there's two beds in the room. And I hear this, uh, so we're standing there not knowing quite what to say or do. So we're standing there, and the fellow next to my dad, uh, somebody's there with him, he's being, uh, and I'm thinking, the, the guy is, is praying with him, and he's praying, wow, he's really praying, praying, really praying nice. And I'm thinking, wow. And so I, I, went, to, I went to talk with the fellow, and I asked him, are you, are you a Christian? He says, yeah. And uh, and he went over to my dad and says, "Hallelujah, brother! You just began to live." And he's, so he did the witnessing, and and so I I I, I honored what they said. I wasn't mistaken. And uh, and he told about the joys of being a Christian and everything. And the fellow happened to be Colonel Raider, and he's he turned out to be uh, Paul Paul Raider. The highest position in the Salvation Army is a general, and he turned turned out to be that. He even remembers seeing uh, William Booth many years before, but but he was a guy. You know, he didn't he didn't know we didn't know each other, either. but he was a guy that wasn't afraid to just just say like what was in his heart to this stranger in the bed next to him, and by him. Witnessing to my father, the word got out to the folks that told me not to say anything. Mm-hmm. So God is good, isn't He? Yeah. Works in mysterious ways. Amen. But you know, the world out in mind talks about the vilest of things publicly, but they don't want Christians talking about Jesus. You ever notice that? They talk about anything, vile stuff. Christians need to be quiet. So, uh, <clears throat> while you were going through this tonight, it came to me that uh, a very familiar verse would be a great companion verse to go with. Verse 12, and that's John 14:6. And John personally hearing this and recording it for all time in God's Word. And that is what? I am the way, the way, 
the truth, the truth, and the life. Why? No man comes to the Father but by me. Yep. Right on. Yeah. Yep. That's you know. So we're seeing two examples: bang, bang, bumper to bumper. Uh, you know that I think this uh, kind of emphasizes what you're talking about tonight. And uh, it really is something that uh, uh, needs to be foremost in our minds. And I'm not forever that great at it, but I have my moments. <laughs> but the thing, you know, well, just like one of my happiest moments is leading my dad to the Lord nine days before he died. And the greatest thing is, even in nine days, though, he had a purpose for God. And he just had staff amazed as he was in a medically induced coma. He could speak. And all you could hear him say over and over and over was, holy smokes. Over and over. Like he was seeing the most amazing stuff in the Well, not this world. And I think that... Uh, and one of the staff members mentioned that to me. He said, Mr. Strickland's really, you know, he is. <coughs> because she knew what had happened the week before, the previous weekend. And uh, she said, he witnesses better just saying that than anybody I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and so I just thought I'd say that as a quick encouragement, too. Sure. Sometimes when you think you're not having any effect, God gives you an effect. Because I've prayed for that man for over 20 years. He used to shut me down all the time. But when God speaks, you listen. Even if you're not a believer. And by golly, you know, just think of things like that. Well, folks, this time of the year is a great time for us as believers to speak about what we have seen and heard, what we know about Christ. The Christmas season, when a lot of people are out there just floundering, this is a great time for you and I to be like Peter and John. Speak up. It doesn't matter if they accept it or not. Speak up. Pastor Scott, we've all read that chapter 10,000 times. Hmm. Every time I read it, the part where it says, Peter fastened his eyes upon him. Yeah. We are so busy. Peter was on his way to church. Yeah. He didn't have time to be, you know, get out of my way. I was on my way to prayer meeting. You know? <laughs> he didn't have time. He saved souls, the church. He was busy, 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 but yet, poor little crippled man. Yeah. Peter fastened his eyes on that one person. Change that man's life. Yeah. Maybe we need to slow down a little bit. Yep. Focus in on somebody. Yeah. You know? yeah. <clears throat> we need to see people. See people, exactly. Really see them. Yeah. We need to be brave to, <clears throat> to speak up when someone says, we're all going, you know, right. to the same goal. And, and these pe other people, you know, they... They've got their God, but they, they're all, I, I have spoke up and said, my Bible says, Jesus said, I'm I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Mm. You know, a man comes to the Father, but by me. Yeah. And I think sometimes we are afraid to say something. Yeah. Folks, for a number of decades in America, for the most part, we've had the public with us. Not anymore. American society is coming back around to the type of culture in which early Christianity entered into. The pagan culture of that day had all kinds of belief systems, all kinds of gods, and very hostile against Christianity and all the things that the early Christians had to face. We've kind of come full circle, and even in our culture now, we're seeing the situation, our context, much like that. Because we've had decades where, for the most part, even if those, some out there didn't agree with us, they at least had a huge amount of respect for Christianity. Those, we're, those days are... Those days are quickly going bye-bye. So again, they, they had courage and principle. And so we're going to have to exercise that more and more and more. We're going to see, we're going to see things like what the early disciples had to experience. That's when the church did its best work. Yep. It was under persecution and oh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. I was about what you said earlier about uh, uh, you know, if you're involved with the church, it can wear you out. Mm -hmm. And that reminded me when I was in India, I the river is scheduled there. Mm -hmm. I spoke at like 10 or 12 churches in like 10 days, uh, sometimes with two or three a day, depending on how it fell. And they had to be meeting at that time as well, so I mean, it was kind of cramped. Sure. And, you know, but at the same time, I mean, it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. It was really exhausting. Plus, you know, it's a two-day flight over there, and I couldn't sleep on the plane because I couldn't fit in the seats. I had my knees out in the aisle because it was so cramped. So that's a long way to fly halfway around the world mm -hmm. like that. And... Uh, but I think um, what Christ said, I have food that you don't know of. Mm. You know, and he's talking about labor. You know, because his disciples are just asking, or what, or, you know, what are going to feed these people? You know, or, or what, what uh, you know, it's time to eat, Lord, or whatever, you know. Which, you know if you're doing what God wants you to do, you don't really think about eating. It's sickening. And you're just basking in what the Lord's doing. It's, it's amazing. I know some of you in here tonight too could probably speak of persons or groups or whatever that would love for you to compromise certain aspects of your faith in order to get along with them, right? Some of you have experienced things like that. Here again, they were men of principle and conviction. They stood firm in their convictions. 